If you are following along with us with your own copy of the book, then we are on page 38. This is the 12th Sutra. In our first two classes, we've gone over the definition of yoga, yoga chitta vritti nirod. And in our previous class, we went a little bit into the classifications of the vrittis. And Patanjali shared with us that there are five different classifications. Right conception and the wrong conception of truth and of how we perceive the world. And then there is imagination, sleep and memory. And what that means is that these are the five both kinds of vrittis that exist, but also that which creates and continues to propagate vrittis, whether to strengthen older ones or to <laughs> create brand new ones. Although it's a little hard to create that many new ones, it's usually just a shaking of what already exists. But since technology is increasing and new things are constantly coming out, so the opportunity does exist for new vrittis, the latest vrittis, the latest model of vrittis. So if that's what you're into, and we're definitely <laughs> getting that. The 12th Sutra says, vrittis are calmed by practice and by non-attachment. And just very simple words and of course there's not that much for us to oh wow what could he possibly mean <laughs> what could he possibly mean by practice and non-attachment it's fairly simple but sometimes we forget the simplicity of it all i mean we were talking about i think in the last class like many of us think oh i'm gonna come onto the path and you know boom within six months whatever little time period we give ourselves i would have gotten it all i would have figured it all out and that's actually true for Anything we do, anything we start, I was remembering, you know, when I first had the desire to play the guitar, you look around at people who do play the guitar and you say, boy, that looks pretty. I mean, they just make it look so easy. They're just doing their thing. They're not even thinking about it. their eyes are closed. They're moving this hand a little bit. They're moving this hand. I mean, how hard could it possibly be? So you think that I'm just going to pick up this thing and I'm just going to, my first little thing is going to be beautiful. It's just going to be pristine. It's going to be the most amazing piece of music ever written. So you pick up a guitar and the first thing that comes out is this screeching, horrible, you know, completely out of tune noise. And you can't quite figure it out. You say, how can something so beautiful make something so ugly? And the sound is just horrible. And then when you start playing, you start realizing it's not just the sound that's horrible. It's like your heart, your fingers start to hurt because you have to press those uh, strings and those strings are really thin and they start cutting into the fingertips. And then it's painful. It's really painful to press each thing and it's like, uh. and of course, what happens? <laughs> All right, <laughs> I don't think guitar playing is for me. I'm gonna learn instead Spanish. I'm going to go on to Duolingo and in two minutes, I'm just going to learn the entire Spanish vocabulary, the entire language. From tomorrow onwards, I'm going to be conversing with Nara and he just as a local. And then you open your app of Duolingo and it says, see si, means yes. And you start getting bored and you know, you've gone through three words and then you're starting to say, I don't know if I want to. And we set it aside and so on and so forth. We've got this idea. Look at the other people, look at that saint. What's he doing? How hard could this be? Look at him, he's smiling. How hard could it be? Look at him, he's just 
And that's a very common flow in most spiritual journeys. We come out, you know, shooting for the stars, and we pretty much somewhere find ourselves in the, I think I'm pretty perfect, and I don't think I need to change that much. I thought I needed to change, but the more I think about it, I think I'm pretty good. And then, of course, the next thing that helps calm vrittis, neutralize those vrittis, is non-attachment. And non-attachment is, again, one of those really highly misunderstood, misconstrued, mispracticed aspects. Because in our mind, non-attachment means rejection, suppression, indifference. Essentially, it's, summed, it's summed up in this one, in this one sentence. I don't care. That's what we think non-attachment means. I don't care. Of course, when somebody says it that way, you know they really care. <laughs> that it's really, they're very upset about it. But I'm so non-attached, so I don't care. So that's the attitude that we think we need to develop. That I don't care. I don't care what other people think. I don't care what happens. I don't care if this doesn't work out. But that's not non-attachment. Non-attachment is... Everything's good, which is a different reality, that it's all divine. Only then there's nothing to be attached to. If there were two realities, then you have to choose, what am I going to be attached to, either this or this? But when there's only a singular reality, then there's nothing to be attached to. Eki cheez hai. Eki mammi hai, kya uske saat attach karna hai? Or koi option hi nahi mere paas. I'm phasgya hume, I'm stuck with God, so what's the, what's the point? Because you see, for, not, for us, attachment is this idea that I have to hold on to something. Like, think about when we look at a beautiful sunset. And we look at a beautiful sunset, and what's our first intention? What's our first thing that we want to do, today especially? What do you guys want to do when you see a beautiful sunset? Take a photograph. Stop it. But what's the beauty of the sunset? Why do we love a sunset so much? It's because it's fleeting. Because it's moving. Because every second you see it, it's changing. It's different, it's different. It's different. And that's why. Imagine if life was just always a sunset. Stuck. A stuck sunset. You know, let's print a nice sunset. Stick it on this wall. And that's it. That's all you'll ever get to see of life. And after a while, who's taking photos of that? Who's interested in that? If that's the only reality, then that's the only reality. But we want to really hold on. The sun's not so interested. The sun's actually saying, I'm very ready for darkness now to have its moment. And then darkness says, I'm very ready now for light to have its moment. And neither of them are fighting. <laughs> neither of them are saying, light is better and darkness is worse. And tu yaha mata, main yaha zada, you know. I mean, uh, one of our uh, brahmacharis, Jamal, if some of you know him, he used to live in Alaska. And in Alaska, you've got like months of sun <laughs> and months of darkness. I mean, I was like, can you imagine that? You're waking up in the, you go to bed in the morning and the sun's like brightly shining. You go to bed at night, sorry. And you wake up, it's still shining. You go to wherever you're going, it's still shining. Every throughout the day is just still shining. And then on the other flip side, you've got... You, you know, you wake up in the morning, it's still dark. You're going to school, it's still dark. You're having your breakfast, it's still dark. And those two realities, of course, eventually they're balancing themselves out. Even in that, 
not one gets to be longer than the other. But that's how we want to kind of hold on to certain things. But the beauty about something that is fleeting is that, in fact, all human experiences are fleeting. Your thoughts, they're fleeting. Your desires, they're fleeting. Nothing that you have is fixed, except until you decide to take a photo of it. Until you decide, ah, this is worth attaching itself to. If you could just be happy with the fact that it's fleeting, Actually, you don't have to worry about it. Desires are going to come and go. Thoughts are going to come and go. Hopes and dreams are going to come and go. But it's the attaching to it that makes it a vritti. Because we have memories and we have lots of experiences that have happened to us. It is when we attach ourselves to that, that that vritti becomes meaningful to us once again in this experience of this incarnation. So... Practice and non-attachment. These are two very key elements for us to start tuning into. Now in his next sutra, he quantifies what practice is. Because that's important. What am I practicing? <laughs> okay, Vrittis are come by practice. Practice of what? The endeavor to develop even-mindedness is what constitutes spiritual practice. If any practice that you do does not take you to even-mindedness, According to Patanjali, it's not a practice. <laughs> it's not a spiritual practice at all. And you think about this especially in terms of, you know, we did this chant in the beginning. And the moment the chant finished, you sit for a moment and you're just there. And you feel, yeah, this was a spiritual practice. You can take other forms of chanting and music. And what happens in two different kinds that I have seen usually. One is highly restless. You know, and at the end of it all, I don't feel even-minded or calm or relaxed or centered. I feel, I feel all right. What's the next thing? And then there are other ones. And it's like, I'm just crying. and I can't take it anymore. And it's so emotional. And that's not even-minded either. And so you've got to see every practice that you're doing. And if your affirmations are only making you more and more excited, excitable, then that's not a spiritual practice either. And if your meditations are only making you go into your own imaginary world and building your own little, you know, idea of life and yourself and, you know, just passing through all that you think, then that's not a spiritual practice either. On the flip side... Anything that takes you to even-mindedness is a spiritual practice. So you don't have to think about, oh, it's always, is it only my meditation? Is it only my japa? Is it only my chanting? Is it only my anything? And this is what's beautiful here. The endeavor to develop even-mindedness is what constitutes spiritual practice. He's not saying which is meditation, japa, chanting. You know, he's not even giving us a list at all. This is a list we know. Pranayam. Anything you do. And that's a beautiful thing. The moment I try to get to that even mind. You know how when we end our meditations. And there's just this moment after your meditation. And sometimes it lasts for a minute. Sometimes it lasts a little longer. Where you really, really are absolutely still. And even though your eyes are open and you've started to move. And you can see the little, you can see the arc. 
I'm here and you can start seeing how the vrittis begin to start coming in and you start seeing the mind starting to move and suddenly now I'm hungry and suddenly like oh, kya soch hai? Or, oh, mera dost kya kar? you know it's just like little by little you see how the life force starts pulling you back out and this is why non-attachment is so important because non-attachment is not just a mental attitude you know we think of it as I just need to kind of like mentally alone but non-attachment is an actual technique that's why meditation is so important. Non-attachment means you can actually pull that string of life force that has gone in that direction. I mean, literally, you can pull it in. Master said, you know, it's on a slightly different context, but it's an interesting thought. When one of the disciples, um, you know, decided that this wasn't for me and he goes off and says, I'm going to go look for a teaching where I don't have to practice too hard, which perfectly is, suits me and my personality. And so he's off. The master says to another disciple, I withdraw my ray from him. And that's an interesting thought to be able to take away whatever you gave, to be able to just completely withdraw it. And that's what we do. We withdraw our ray from the people in our lives, from projects, from things, from our own thoughts, from our own ideas, from our own concepts. We have to withdraw from everything. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Otherwise, it does not constitute. In the Gita, if you remember, I mean, this one word was coming over and over again. Even-minded, even-minded, even-minded. Who is not affected by praise or blame? Who is not affected by pain or, you know, or happiness? Who is not affected? And Krishna would just say that over and over and over and over again. And that's the only place for a yogi that he's interested in finding himself. But watch out for the tendency in that process to become indifferent Remember that line, I don't care. If that becomes the way you think even-mindedness needs to be achieved, then the problem is that you do care and you're just suppressing. You're just trying to pretend to be non-attached. Fourteenth, spiritual practice becomes firmly grounded when it is undertaken for a long time without break with deep earnestness. Again, just practical, <laughs> no confusion. Spiritual practice becomes firmly grounded when it is undertaken for a long time without a break with deep earnestness. What do you think is a long time? Mm, it's relative. <laughs> Forever? I don't know what a long time is. A year? Two years? Ten years? A lifetime? hundred lifetime? I mean, what do you think Patanjali thinks is a long time? Because <laughs> these guys live in eternity. <laughs> so what do you think they think a long time is? Considering what do you think we think a long time is? <laughs> Shouldn't I be, where's this samadhi that I'm, where's this even-mindedness? Where's this whatever it is that you think this spiritual practice ought to be giving you a long time without a break now it's also added but long time Nikki there was an intention that I started meditating when I was a lot of people you know come fairly proudly and they ought to be proud 
Well, I read the autobiography when I was only 14. Really? What did you do? Nothing. <laughs> I just read the book. Congratulations, how wonderful for you. Did you meditate? Did you do anything after that? Because that doesn't consider, it doesn't say that therefore, because since I was 14 until now, I've just been steeped in spiritual practice. No, I just did something. Then I did absolutely nothing. And now I want to do something again. And again, if you just watch your own life and your own relationship to the spiritual path, A, how long have you been at it? And what Patanjali is saying is, spiritual practice becomes firmly grounded. He's not even saying ki, from here you will now achieve. Only ki your practice is now grounded. <laughs> Means you will not resist it anymore. Means you will not second guess it anymore. Means that it's become an integrated part of just who you are. It's firmly grounded. Your Mooladhar Chakra and this practice that you do, they're one. Here, energy is So, time without a break. Boy, that's a, I mean, like, boy, I take breaks sometimes. You know, I sometimes think is, I mean, two, three days, Especially if I turn the lights off and it's harder for God to see me. It's just like, what are these breaks that we take? And I don't mean a break just that I have meditation This break of a spiritual practice, which is not meditation, which is even-mindedness. For Patanjali, the practice is not the individual techniques we do. The endeavor to remain even-minded at all times is spiritual practice. Whether it's meditation, whether it's any other form, have you remained even-minded for a long time without a break? Boy, I took a break just an hour ago when hot water ki cold water aagya mere I took a break from even-mindedness. And I got like, something's wrong with the world. Because what I wanted to do is not doing it. I took a break because Naraini and I were discussing something and you know she didn't particularly think my opinion was better. So I took a break from being even-minded. So I'm just constantly taking breaks from being even-minded. I've taken a lot of breaks. And think about that. Long time without a break. What does that mean to you? And only then is spiritual practice grounded. Otherwise, it's really just like this guitar. Oh, And that's, uh, for us, that's the spiritual path. I'm not enjoying this anymore. Oh, it's too hard. And so we just take a break. And then talk about lifetimes that we take breaks. Death is its own break that says, Chalo. I was thinking about when, you know, some of us came onto the path early on, there was just a natural yearning to say, something's missing, something's missing, something's missing, something's missing, couldn't figure it out. So that's what happens when you try not to take too many breaks. You automatically are reminded something's not quite right here. And then the last thing is with deep earnestness. Now, of course, that's... I think we all lose some of our deep earnestness and sincerity, isn't it, on the path? 
I mean, I find myself losing it quite often. It's mechanical, it's repetitive, and I'm no longer the fire that I had. I want to you know, serve my guru and I want to find that freedom and I just want to do it. And I, This is the only thing I want in life. And, and it's just like, no, but I was, you know, I've also set this up. And there's the organization. I have to think about this. And, you know, what about breakfast? And, you know, all those things start to matter a little bit more and more and more and more. And well, we take breaks. <laughs> In his poem on Samadhi, Master says, by deeper, longer, thirsty, Guru-given meditation comes this celestial Samadhi. Deeper, longer, thirsty. These are the three words. If your meditation today isn't deeper, longer, thirstier than the one before, we're taking a break. <laughs> We're saying, yeah, this is this is the reality checks that Patanjali wants people to have. Because he's not interested in saying it's easy. Although later on he'll say in one place which you have to, you know, you really laugh at it. Let me just let me just read that so we can all laugh. With keen and one-pointed practice, this highest attainment comes quite easily. <laughs> wow. I don't think so. But for him, that's so true. With keen and one-pointed focus, this comes very easily. A story of Asha Naya Swami once that she tells often is her crying to Swamiji and saying, ah, you know, she was going through this hard time and she's just crying and crying and she's like, why is it so hard to know God's will? You know, because that was her intention. I want to know what God's will is and then I only want to do that. You know, have you heard that before? And what does Swami just like? Why is it so hard to know God's will? And what does Swami's response? It's not. <laughs> it's not hard to know God's will at all. The problem is we don't really want to know God's will. We just are waiting until God's will aligns with our will. So we wait it out. And we fright and we cry and we make a lot of noise. So that the world thinks that I'm looking for God's will. But I'm just waiting till his will aligns with mine. And that's where we take breaks. And that's where our long time of practice, break Lelia, let's start again. And see, is it still earnest? Now is it mechanical? I mean, I find myself so often just doing what I'm doing because I'm just used to it. I wake up, I you know, do my thing, I do my sadhana, I do my energization, go to the ashram, we do our little things, we play our little you know, um, roles out with each other. And that earnestness, often, I find, is missing. Where are we? <clears throat> From constant self-remembrance, there comes complete non-attachment to things seen or heard. Self-remembrance is with this capital S. From constant self-remembrance. See, this is where he's further quantifying what it means to have doing it for a long time, without a break, with deep earnestness. So in his mind... He thinks it means constant self-remembrance. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying your dhyan, your little yoga practice, your little, you know, ek mala mene jappa kar liya, whatever we may think is spiritual practice. For him, it's a constant reality. From constant self-remembrance, there comes complete non-attachment to things seen or heard. And I think one for us, 
a reminder of our constant self-remembrance is hongsa, ahamsa, ahamsa, constant reminding. And when we do hongsa, what's the first thing that happens when we're doing hongsa with the breath? Non-attachment. Suddenly, the breath and us are like, ah, I'm not this breath, I'm he. Ahamsaha. And that can be a practice that we need to bring into everything. If we are truly looking for non-attachment, if God's the only reality, there's nothing to get attached to. When one ceases to thirst for outward manifestation, having realized the Purush, one attains supreme non-attachment. Abhi regular non-attachment chal radha. Now we're at supreme non-attachment. When one ceases to thirst for outward manifestation, having realized the Purush, one attains supreme non-attachment. What's the key word here? Thirst, not outward manifestations. We like to think that somehow the spiritual path means kuch hai nahi bar. You know, we, we like to like think everything's within, therefore nothing's outside of you. But that's not true either. Everything's outside of us as well. As within, so without. It is the thirst that we have. We don't thirst for the inner world so much. No? I mean, when we sit to meditate, we're pretty much saying, when will this be over? <laughs> when can I go back out there? It's not obvious. It's, it's a subtle thought beneath everything. All right, I've done my homes. Oh. I'm getting close. And we're, you know, that has its own joy. Because we thirst for the outside world. So he's not saying don't have outs, outward manifestations. It is that thirst. Now I was thinking about it in terms of each of us should do a little practice. And this practice is that of seclusion, but in a very specific way. Perhaps, I don't know how possible this is for many of you, but if it's at all possible to take one entire day, you know, and just lock yourself in a room with nothing and then see what all you thirst for. What thoughts come to you? What could I be eating if I was out there? This is my, you know, the moment I'm out of this room, what's the first thing I'm going to eat? <laughs> Was the other thing we will thirst for a lot of sleep remember one of the vrittis sleep low energy let's not have any books let's have nothing with us and let's see what all we thirst for one day you will realize you thirst for so many things so 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 many things and all five classification of vrittis will be played out. Memories, when there's nothing else to do, let's think about who said what, what did I do, Disneyland kab gaite, bacho ka kya chahiye kya? Go back, imaginations, oh, after this seclusion, I will become a yogi, ban jaunga na. <laughs> oh, ye hone wala hai, wo hone wala hai, ye karunga, wo karunga, usne ye bola tha, now the whole world that I have created. What else? Right and wrong conceptions. We have that all the time. We don't even have to go into it. What was the third? Sleep. sleep. Oh, oh, yeah. Sleep, memory, imagination, right and wrong conceptions. All of that will play out. All of them will be outward. All of them will increase in you a 
thirst for the outside world. What happened when this lockdown happened? <laughs> you know, that was like a time where people really realized what do they thirst for the most? And everybody wanted whatever is outside. All this while people are working every day, day and night, and you ask them, oh, you know, how is it? Oh, this work-life balance. I balance. I want to find a time where I can be home and be with my kids and be with my family. family. <laughs> I just need to get back to work. <laughs> I just need to go back to this office. Because <laughs> we just, we thirst for outward. Outward. And that's just what's going on in this world. And that's the only thing Patanjali is saying that we need to tune into. What do you thirst for? And you will be surprised how very, 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 very little you thirst for God. You put yourself in that box, just take that time, do it for two hours, do it for whatever it's going to take. And just go through it, see every thought that comes, write it down, classify it. This was a memory, <laughs> this was imagination, this was a complete wrong conception of what was going on. And it would be an amazing thing for us, a very, just again, the idea behind Patanjali's Yoga Sutras is so that we don't kid ourselves. Is that we don't fool ourselves anymore. One of the things, as I said, I think in the last class that Patanjali points out is the biggest obstacle on the spiritual path is missing the point. And we all just keep missing the point. Why we are here, what we're doing, what's going on. You know, we really have no clue. And then the one thing that we say we do want, we really don't want. We don't want it as badly as we say we do. And that's the part that each of us have to come to. And then we relax there. It's not a bad thing. It's just what is. But at least I'm not fooling myself anymore. At least I've not created this imagination of the kind of devotee I am or the kind of thirst that I have for God. And then what do I do? I go back to where we started. I practice all over again. And I do it badly and I just keep doing it badly and badly and badly and I keep practicing. And that's the loop that we all have to keep creating. Practice, practice. You'll break it for a while, come back, practice. See how long you can hold this practice for now. You'll break it for a while, again practice. See how longer you can hold it for now. And while you're holding it longer, are you still as sincere and earnest as you first started? And you'll break it, then practice again and see how, and you see this loop. And this loop will just keep having to repeat itself. And while it sounds unfortunate and unfair, the problem with truth is that it's all that there is. There is no other thing. There is nothing here which, which Patanjali says, well, you see, the vrittis can easily be calmed by somebody else doing all the work for you and uh, God just forgiving everything and just giving you freedom. Oh, yeah, I would like that. Let's rewrite the Yoga Sutras, wouldn't it be nice? No, it only happens through practice and having it done it for a very long time without a break, with complete earnestness, and that's it. Without thirsting for 
anything outside of yourself. I mean, it just makes you think, is this what I signed up for? We started with knowing very strongly this is exactly what I signed up for, but somewhere along the line, along the way, other things became more important. How people perceive me became more important. What roles I'm going to play becomes more important. Anyway, we're not yet at a place where we have to give up. We are at the place now where we have to think again. Remind ourselves what this was about to begin with. And start practice again. It'll be a lovely thing to see. Even-mindedness, for how long can you hold it without a break? Again, just give yourself a clear measure of, oh, this is where I am. I can't remain even-minded for more than this little time. Then I have to take a break. Then I have to give in to my ventings and my thoughts and my judgments and my criticisms. And then maybe again I can come back to even-mindedness for a little more time. And then I have to take a break. And look for those breaks and look for how long those breaks are compared to those even-minded moments. And you'll get a very, very clear picture of what's going on. And I think that's a wonderful thing to have a clear picture of what's going on. Because otherwise we completely miss the point. Yogananda gives a very particular practice to work specifically with non-attachment. In fact, Krishna also speaks about it and many other saints who had that thirst for God and they didn't want to miss the point in that particular lifetime where they were serving 24-7 God and his mission. And that's the practice of practicing the presence of God throughout your day in every activity, all the time. Because guess what? Life has nothing to do really with us. It's not about us. It's not about Narayani. It's not about Abiruchi. It's not about Rajesh. It's not about Chitra. It has nothing to do really with us except that we develop an ever deeper yearning for God in our hearts. And you may don't know how to practice the presence of God within in every activity, but Yogananda said that God can be experienced, can be shared in eight particular aspects. And those eight aspects are joy, love, wisdom, light, sound, a power, power, peace and calmness, happen. peace and calmness. So if you don't know yet what God feels like, just choose one of these aspects and for a week, every single day, try to infuse every activity with that consciousness. Patanjali Swami Kriyananda says here that 
once we are able to practice every activity with that consciousness, every attachment fades away, like almost instantly, because you are so much in that presence, in that vibration that nothing else calls out your, your attention as much as being inside that consciousness. Swami Kriyananda says here, but that's a practice that needs to be practiced consciously. So I was thinking that perhaps that's something that we want to start introducing in our daily lives. So by the time that we lock ourselves in that room, we will have practiced already that presence one of the greatest, if not the biggest fear of every saint is that God will ask of them to do something that has the potential for them to forget about God's presence in their life. When I was thinking about this and what this cafe means for us. Uh, I want to take it as one of my greatest practice practices so far on the spiritual path. Will I be able to hold within myself to remember that I'm doing this not to please myself, not to prove to the world that we can do this, not to please other people, but just to please my guru to please God and that's going to be very challenging for many of us especially for myself to be able to be in the middle of so much noise and worldly consciousness and chaos and yet to remind myself daily every moment when I'm there in the middle of all these practical aspects that are going to demand constantly my attention, my energy, my attitude, my compassion, my patience, will I be able to hold on and don't miss the point? And I'm very excited just for that part because if this project will help to reinforce within myself, to force myself the practice of the presence of God, where by the end of the day, I won't be attached to the results and the fruits of this project. Then I, uh, I want to measure my spiritual achievement by that, that, okay, I didn't miss the point. I was able to think about God or I was able to channel that peace or that love or that joy or that wisdom, if any, but throughout, perhaps for four hours, that's an achievement. And I would like for us, in the name of Patanjali and what he advises us and what our Guru says about non-attachment, why don't we introduce to practice the presence of God for as long as we can? And if we almost force ourselves to be there, 
I'm sure that what they are saying, the results of that practice, is true. Every other attachment will fade by itself without me having to concentrate on it and to think how I'm going to overcome that attachment. Because guess what? I'm so fully concentrated in this higher reality, in God, in please God, in be at peace in my heart with God, that everything else will just go away. So um, I think this is a very, how can I say, like specific moment at this particular time of our journey that I'm going to take it very seriously and, and make of this a practice that has the potential to really transform my consciousness because it's very easy to practice it in an ashram setting with your guru bias, you know, in, in a place where you are protected almost from any other ripples of consciousness. But to be out there, um, we will have more opportunities for further growth. So I will invite uh, all of us to just be on the same boat and remind each other, and please, if you are around me, try to practice the presence of God. So you can remind me that I also have to practice the presence of God in case I have forgotten, in case I have taken a break from it. So let's, let's support each other in this process because as, as time goes by, as years pass by, um, we want to make sure we are evolving and we are getting closer and closer to that freedom that each one of us uh, is looking for. So let's just take a moment and see how we can practice the presence of God every day throughout this week, in every activity, in every conversation, in every message, through our eyes, through our interactions, the way we think. Doesn't that very thought brings, bring so much soothing energy into our hearts? This is really what God wants and expects from each one of us, nothing else but to remind him, to remember him. To think about him, to channel him. To do everything to please him. And when I say to please him, I mean just to be in tune with his 
divine will in harmony with his laws and just live there throughout the day and start perceiving things and projects and people differently. Our Guru, Yoganandaji, used to say, no one dwells in this temple but God. That's my only reality. And we all should strive for that. Where no one else lives within us except God himself sharing himself with others, in others, for others. <laughs>